episode 43 of the Photon Podcast. Microcontrollers, guest host, and more coming up. Welcome into the next show, the Photon Podcast. It is episode 43. I'm Kale, your normal host, but I'm out of town, so when the cat's away, the mice will play, and George and Jeremy are coming in to do a great job for you. They're going to be discussing microcontrollers, Linux, and other maker things that you may be able to use to enhance your ham radio experience. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Hey, by the way, there's a giveaway mentioned in here. And uh, you don't want to miss it, so make sure you listen all the way through to get the giveaway terms and conditions, and maybe we can put something in your hand. Hey, this portion of the Photon Podcast is sponsored by Main Trading Company, your source for all things ICOM radio. That's right. You need a new handy talkie, you need a new base station rig, you know, tax time's not too far away, so I bet you got your post-Christmas list ready. You need some ICOM gear? Make sure you check out mtcradio.com today. All right, thanks, Kale. Hey, George. Hey, Jeremy. How are you? I'm good. Looks like we're in charge again. Is Dad gone again? Dad is gone again, off into the wilderness of the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm imagining he's out there right now with his shirt off, with a stick in his hand, hunting some kind of bear, which would be hibernating. So that's probably illegal. And to think he left the keys to the car in the house with us. Indeed. Of course, he doesn't realize that we made a copy of him last time he was gone. So, you know, I think one of the things that's actually really cool uh, for me about tonight. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. One of the things that's really cool uh, for me is that this episode um, is kind of coming full circle for, for something that I realized early on in faux time, if we go all the way back to episode five, um, when we had Nick, uh, of Pignology on one of the things that I loved about having Nick on and several of the other small, you know, innovative product companies, including yourself is that it is a bridge to amateur radio, which may be one of the first maker hobbies being connected to the modern maker, um, in playing with microcontrollers and single board computers and using all of this relatively easy to cobble together things that we have at our fingertips um, to innovate and to create things for amateur radio. And so tonight, we are going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about microcontrollers and single board computers. And, and I mean, do you agree that that kind of bridges the gap between the original hams and us today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, really... <laughs> When you look at technology hobbies, I mean, really, ham radio was back in the in the twenties, and you know, even earlier was really this a space for technology experimentation, much like a lot of the computing and and other maker kind of activities are today. So there's a big crossover, uh, absolutely. I mean, certainly the spirit of it is is very similar, um, and there's a lot of people who are active in both communities. Now. One of the probably the most exciting thing um, in the general maker movement, of course, if you don't know what the maker movement is, it the name comes from a publication that started back about, gosh, seven, eight years ago, years ago now, Make Magazine. Yeah, a little bit further, probably. Um, but I mean, it was a group of people that started a magazine that, uh, you know, believe that people have the right to open up their electronics and repair them and experiment with them. And uh, 
over the last several years, I mean, this this community, this maker movement has has really exploded. And we're going to focus on, like I said earlier, microcontrollers and single board computers, because this is probably, um, especially with the recent uh, announcement and release of the new Raspberry Pi Zero, um, and of course, all the great products that are out there under the Arduino um, banner, it's just an amazing time to be alive. Yeah, actually, it, it it's it's an amazing time, and and I would add, it's a very confusing time because there's been such an explosion of different platforms that uh, I think it's pretty bewildering if you're just starting out. Yeah, it really is because I I mean it, it kind of goes. I I mentioned in the D Star episode, I think that. Uh, as a new ham, I was confused. What's the difference between D-Star and APRS? And of course, those two things, other than the fact that it is a digital technology available on a radio, have nothing to do with one <laughs> another, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the equivalent to that in this arena is uh, an Arduino versus a Raspberry Pi, because those are really the, the two platforms that have probably gotten into the hacker maker ham zeitgeist uh most prevalently um although i do want to mention we will also be talking about the pick tonight because obviously the pick was doing um easy to use home programmable microcontroller before that was cool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think those those are really um the arduino and the pi are really the most well-known ones and and probably the ones ultimately that someone would want to start with um, because there's a huge community out there for both of those. But on first blush, you might ask yourself, like, what's the difference? And there really is an enormous difference when you get into it. All right. So that's a a really good jumping off point. Let's go ahead and start going down the road. So the two categories of devices we're talking about, as I've said, are microcontrollers versus single board computers or in embedded Linux systems. Um, George, let, what, what's the difference between those two? Well, the simple way to think about it is a microcontroller is a single chip that has all the basic hardware features of a system built into it, which means the processor, uh, memory, both RAM memory as well as program storage memory, and peripherals like input-output ports, uh, analog-to-digital converters, PWMs, pulse width modulators, etc. So it's it's everything in a single chip, and it's programmed typically to do a very specific fixed function, as opposed to a Raspberry Pi, which is really a computer running a general-purpose multitasking operating system like Linux that is shrunk down to a very small size. So it has many of the attributes of a microcontroller, but with a lot more storage a lot more processing power, a much more sophisticated software environment, usually communications like uh, Ethernet or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. So really, it's a much more sophisticated computing platform. All right. And what's, you know, also kind of doesn't help is is the probably the most prevalent Arduino that's out there as a microcontroller platform form is probably the Uno. Um, about how much does an Uno run for? Well, you know, the Unos, when they first came out, which is, this is a board with a microcontroller and a little a voltage regulator and a couple little support parts. Brand new, those were about 25 to $30. And today, you can buy them for as little as uh, under 
And what's interesting is on, you know, the original Raspberry Pi and even the Pi 2 are also kind of in that $30, $35 range. And of course, they now have a $5 model. And so um, obviously looking at prices alone is not really a good guide as far as to the capability or or what you're going to get out of the box. Yeah, that's really that's really true. The the criteria for picking it is is much different. It really is more along the lines of of uh, do you want it very real time? How complicated do you want the software environment? Do you need communications infrastructure? There's many other things to look at. So at a high level, um, can you kind of sum up? The, the differences between the individual little microcontroller um, and give me some examples of things you would want to use that for versus the, you know, the embedded Linux system or the single board computer. Well, so there's really multiple things to compare. One thing is what are projects you that are more applicable for a micro versus a embedded Linux. Uh, you can also look at, um, the hardware. What is the hardware difference between these worlds? So, so let's let's take a kind of a top level uh, look at that. If if you're going to build a project where you have a very specific function you want to um, have take place, you want it to be pretty fast in real time, and it's kind of a dedicated chip or dedicated piece of hardware to do that task. Typically, that's done with a microcontroller. Um, if you want to do more complicated applications, especially with a lot of communications, then the Linux is better. So, for instance, microcontrollers are great for building a keyer, uh, building a, uh, let's say, a T-Hunt transmitter controller, uh, repeater control system, things that, uh, when they power on, are going to wake up and do that dedicated function and be very robust and very reliable and with a very fixed purpose in mind. With a with a Linux single board computer, since you can run um, many different programs simultaneously, it's a more complicated software environment. So applications where that's better might be, uh, let's say, if you want a graphic user interface, if you want Ethernet or Wi-Fi connectivity, or if you want to run multiple tasks simultaneously, uh, then the embedded Linux board's better. Now, somebody listening to this, I'm sure, is going to say, well, hang on. I can build a keyer out of a Raspberry Pi just as easily as I could build it out of a microcontroller. That's true. But one of the differences is with a microcontroller, the moment you apply power, it's executing its task in real time. With an embedded Linux board, there's a boot time. So from the moment you power that thing up, it's going to take you several seconds before it's really fully operational. So that's one of the subtle differences between the two. Well, folks, over the next little bit here, I, I knowing how you and I get to carrying on, I'm not brave enough to actually put a time on it just yet. But over the <laughs> next few segments, we're going to kind of deep dive into uh, microcontrollers as far as what they're good for um, and some specific projects, as well as the single board uh, Linux systems. Then at the end, uh, we're going to give you a far more examples of how these things are used in amateur radio today. Um, and then we might just have a surprise yeah, for those who make it to the end as well. Ooh, so, what kind of surprise? Uh, there may be some things that we may have in our possession that we may want to put in the, in the possession of our listeners. Mm. So uh, we'll be right back after this break. You're to listening to Jeremy KF7IJZ and George KJ6VU. Don't go away. 
This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by our brand new show sponsor, BridgeCom Systems. Check them out at BridgeComSystems.com. If you're looking for some 220 equipment, they're the go-to source. BridgeComSystems.com. All right, we're back. So, George, why don't we dig into microcontrollers first? Because I I think it's fair to say those have been around much longer than the uh, single-board Linux computers. Yeah, for for sure. microcontrollers have been around for 30 years, so uh, they've gotten faster and more capable, but the idea's been around for a long time. All right, well, kind of start us off. As far as um, maybe amateur radio or the, the home hacker, where where did microcontrollers really start? So there were several uh, manufacturers of these things over the years, and, and if you look at the industry, the, the leading suppliers have changed over time uh, as companies kind of come and go. Uh, probably the most uh, famous companies were uh, Intel and Motorola, when Motorola had a semiconductor business. So uh, uh, parts like the, uh, the Intel 8051 are legendary. They've been around for decades. Uh, you can still buy them, which is amazing to me. Um, uh, Motorola had the uh, uh, the 68K series and the and the 6K series. The 6K is more um, as embedded processors. Uh, those are gone these days, uh, and they've been replaced by other vendors. Today, uh, the most popular ones you hear about in the in the hobby community are Atmel and Microchip. Microchip makes the PIC processors. And Atmel makes a variety of processors, including the CPUs that are used in the Arduino boards. Uh, the other, probably the third most uh, popular one that really has uh, become very popular in the last 10 years is ARM, which is a UK company. Uh, they developed some very small, very low-power microcontrollers uh, over the years, and so they're becoming increasingly much more popular. Now, that last one's interesting because I, I would expect that when we talk about the embedded Linux boards, you would be talking about ARM processors there. Well, that's because um, all of these vendors have a range of, of processor families. So they all of them go from uh, smaller, lower-cost, lower-performance processors to higher-performance processors that can support a multitasking operating system. So uh, ARM, for example, has their their A-series, their Cortex processors that are in the Raspberry Pi, but they also make the M-series of microcontrollers uh, to compete at that lower end. Okay, so, you know, for... One of the things that you were kind of taking for granted is you and I are, you're very conversant on this subject. I am um, conversant enough. But when I go out and, and I'm the hobbyist buying these things, I'm not just buying, you know, a, a chip, right? I'm buying a chip that comes installed on a board and that board will have some features. Well, maybe. So if you rewind in time, let's say more than 10 years ago, you really didn't buy a board with a chip on it ready to go. What you, what you bought was the chip and you designed your uh, circuit. Let's say if I'm building a keyer, I would buy a microcontroller chip like a PIC or an Atmel chip and then I would design the circuitry around it and I would code it and I would make my own board or wire wrap it or you know, prototype it somehow. Um, the big change in the last several years has been the growth of uh, pre-existing uh, PC boards with the microcontroller already mounted on them and a bunch of sockets so you can get accessories and plug it all together and make a system more easily. And that's uh, really kind of where it's at today. So there's really, you know, kind of two levels of this. And and you might think about it in in the following way. If, if I'm building a 
project and I want to whip something together quickly, I could take these existing boards and I could stack them or I could put jumpers between them and I could cobble together my project uh, fast. If I'm going to build something where I want to make several of them or I just want to make one but I want to make it as small as possible, I may still design it with a discrete microcontroller chip and my custom logic sitting around it. Okay, so um, I mean, if I if I do look at though the thing that I'm going to be able to walk into uh, a micro center or what I used to be able to walk into a Radio Shack, <laughs> I, I am mostly going to be buying boards today. Well, that's that's true, but I, I would I would add that once you are familiar with this um, kind of environment, it's not unusual to make a project with a raw uh, microcontroller chip. Uh, because it's really easy. If you look at like the Arduino, for instance, you could just replicate the Arduino circuitry on your own circuit board. If if I was building, um, let's say, a radio, and I wanted to use a PIC or an Atmel chip as the brain of that radio, I could plug in uh, a board with a microcontroller on it, or I could just incorporate that microcontroller circuitry right into my circuit board. I could do it either way. But if you're starting out, uh, you're right. You're probably going to go out and just buy these pre-existing boards and then just jumper wire them together to get your project going. All right. So for the the pre-existing boards, and and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I'm going to have a a bias towards Arduino because uh, just to kind of put my two cents in it. Arduinos were the first well, – actually, I'll take a step back. What's interesting is I happened to go to a conference um, in Indianapolis back in 2000 – I don't know, three or four, maybe two. Um, a good friend of mine who lives in central Kentucky uh, was getting into the business of building calcular, calculator-based laboratory um, hardware to compete with uh, for a contract that Texas Instruments had to, to connect to the TI-82. Um, and we went to this Atmel – uh, kind of trade conference in a hotel where they were announcing the introduction of the AVR line of microprocessors or microcontrollers, which is the chip that is on the Arduino. Um, and I still actually have my little AVR name badge that had the scrolling LED display on it that was the, the demo kit that they, <laughs> they gave all the attendees. Um, and then, lo and behold, 10-plus years later, up pops Arduino. I'm like, wow, that's that same microcontroller that I went to that conference that I knew un- I understood nothing about. Um, so that that's why I'm going to have a bias towards that. Also, I feel like in the in again that that kind of maker zeitgeist, the the Arduino just the community was built up um, for whatever reason happened a little bit more than some of these other platforms. Would you agree with that bias, or are you biased towards another platform? Uh, that's a, a tough question. I think if I were really trying to be objective. Probably Arduino really has the advantage because of the community, because there is so much uh, consumer uh, technical hobbyist content out there that's geared around the Arduino version of the the well with the Atmel chip on it. We should explain what the difference is in a moment. Um, but personally, I've I've spent the last dozen years developing projects on PIC, so I'm familiar with the PIC family, and so it's it, so I I tend to use that. But um, the real advantage is not the, the one chip over the other. So, frankly, the the microcontroller chips itself, the, the PIC versus the Atmel chip, it's a wash. It's a Ford or a Chevy. There really is like virtually no difference between the parts at, at the hardware level. They're identical. Um, 
when you go up a level and look at the professional development software tools, they're similar. Um, I wouldn't say they're identical, but they're very similar. So there's a complete software development tool for professional software developers for both. Where the Arduino comes in is is these guys took the Atmel chip and put it on a circuit board, and their real value add was that they created a C compiler with a library that made it easy to write software um, for that Atmel processor. And they could have just as easily targeted the PIC processor, but they chose Atmel. So the the Arduino is what it really is is an Atmel CPU, just like a equivalent to a PIC, but with the Arduino software development tools on top of it, and and that makes it a little bit easier than the professional development software tools, which are a little more complicated because they're trying to provide uh, a high degree of functionality to commercial developers. They also so, they also were a lot more expensive. Uh, the tools, uh, the tools essentially have all come down to not much to free. So when we first did our repeater controller systems ten years ago, we uh, we bought the PIC optimizing C compiler and it was five hundred dollars. And today I think it's free, so or or cheap. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so the the prices of the development tools have have come down um, significantly. Arduino software uh, development tools are free. Um, so and and I think the uh, um, the development tools just for raw AVRs I think is is cheap to free as well. So very comparable to the picks. Because uh, I remember at that conference, the uh, buying the C compilers for the AVRs were scary expensive for somebody who was still an undergrad. But let's not go down the software road just yet because we still you know if we look at um, you're going out and you're buying an Arduino or maybe you're going to receive one in a giveaway we haven't talked about yet. Um, what else am I getting on the board besides the chip or, you know, the Arduino, the pick, whatever. I mean, cause it's great that I have a chip, a chip can run a program. Wonderful. But at the end of the day, right, I'm using these things because I want to interact with either other devices or stuff in the real world. So if I'm brand new to all this and I have no clue what we're talking about, I don't understand how to plug something into a chip. So, so what else is on that board? So there's really not a lot on the board, actually. So what you, what you get on the board is the processor chip itself. Uh, there may be a crystal that's the clock for the clock circuit. Uh, there will be a, a voltage regulator that'll take some external, you know, six to ten volts or whatever, and bring it down to the operating voltage of the part, which is five volts typically with these parts. Well, it could be anywhere from three point three to five volts. The Arduino's five volts, um, and there's usually some connectors and a reset button. Um, most of the pins of the processor are wired out to a set of header connectors. And those pins are the raw CPU pins pulled out to a connector for you to hook stuff up to. So the real question is, uh, it's, it, there's not much on that board. The question is, well, what do those pins do? And, and how do I um, connect that physically to the real world? So when you look at the pins, and this this is true for any microcontroller, whether it's a it's an Atmel or a PIC or an ARM or anything else, those microcontroller uh, I/O pins. There's a few different flavors. You can have a digital input or a digital output, which simply means um, a five volt. Uh, let's say a digital output. The pin will either be five volts or zero, uh, 
A digital input means that you can give it 5 volts or ground, and the software will either set that value on an output or it'll read a value that you give it on an input. So that's the simplest thing. Um, then there's a bunch of special purpose pins. You might have an analog to digital converter, and an analog to digital converter, or ADC, is a little circuit inside the chip that looks at a pin, that looks at the uh, at the voltage on the pin, and gives you a number based on the voltage that it sees. So if let's say you have a five volt part, and there's a ADC pin, and it reads zero to five volts. Um, if you have a a 10-bit, what's called a 10-bit ADC, or 10 bits of resolution, it'll look at that voltage, and it'll give you a number between 0 and 1,023. And it'll tell you, for instance, if it sees 2.5 volts, that's halfway, it gives you the number 512 to your software. So it converts that voltage reading to a number. Another kind of I.O. pin could be a UART, a UART, Universal Asynchronous Receiver Transmitter. A UART is a serial port, just like we had on our PCs 10 years ago, uh, you often find UARTs on the microcontrollers because microcontrollers are often used to control hardware that might have a legacy UART on it. Uh, you might also find um, a, a digital um, serial data channel. So there's a lot of peripheral chips in the microcontroller world that talk to the microcontroller over uh, one of these special buses, and there's three very commonly used buses, SPI, I2C, and OneWire. Um, these are buses that allow you to talk from the microcontroller to the peripheral. So let's say, for example, I have a temperature probe, a digital temperature probe. How do I get the data from that temperature sensor into the microcontroller? Well, it could be a pair of wires like a I2C interface or a single wire like the one wire, which is a name interface. And there's protocols that are used, software commands that are used to talk to these peripherals. And the thing that's really cool about this is if you look at the chips that are out there, there are sensors for every conceivable kind of sensing. You can measure temperature, you can measure current, you can measure uh, strain, you can measure humidity, you can measure gases. Uh, you can measure all kinds of things. And there's hundreds and hundreds of sensor chips out there that could be hooked up to these microcontrollers. So um, that's on the input side. So that that's kind of a quick list. There's more uh, specialized pins, but that's kind of a high-level view of what's available. And this is, like I said, true for all these microcontrollers. No, I, I think that's a, a very good overview because one of the things that um – when when the light bulb went off for me about why I cared about microcontrollers, uh, in addition to all the the things that we said about it being a little bit more real time, um, which actually isn't quite true with the Arduino, but that's a that's another topic. Most people wouldn't know, but there's actually a layer of software that runs between the hardware and um, the programs you write. But it's it's an opportunity to use a small computerized chip to somehow interact with the world, either getting inputs or providing outputs. Um, a, a good example of what I have used in Arduino before is uh, for my portable solar operating. Um, I was able to buy these sensors you're talking about that were um, very wide dynamic range luminosity sensors. Um, bought them from Adafruit, which is a, a company that's, that really kind of helped, I think, pave the way for the Arduino. And the you know they're very supportive of the, the maker and hacker movements. 
Um, but anyway, I put these sensors on my solar arrays and used an Arduino with a little um, display to tell me how to aim it to get the most optimal light. And mm. if I had wanted to, um, I could have gotten what is called a shield, which is a peripheral device that plugs into a standard um, pinout in the Arduino case. Uh, that is a, a set of servo or motor controllers, which would have allowed me to actually automate having a solar array being aimed at the at the the sun at all times. And, and that's a good example where um, you don't want a fussy, complicated device. You have a very specific, fixed application in mind. You want to measure something, and you want to react to it. I need and it to just go. Exactly, you, and you want it to be super reliable, and and frankly inexpensive isn't bad either so that's a great application for a microcontroller so you know once i have you know we've talked at a high level all these interface opportunities but um and we brushed on it a little bit earlier but let's talk about the software yeah and this is one of the things that's changed uh greatly over the last decade um if you look at the software development environments for most of these parts 10 years ago, there was a lot of assembly language programming. What what that means is you're really... Well, that, straight- that means that people like me are scared away. That's well, what right. that means. It, yeah, well, me too, frankly. Um, and, and that's really changed. It's, it's gotten way better. So what assembly language is, it's a very low-level way to code a, a computer, which uses the code the operation codes the op codes of the processor itself at a very low level so you're really g- giving the cpu chip like the lowest level of command possible um and it's the sort of thing that was primarily done really by professionals who would do this full time and it was really you know only a f- precious few hobbyists would be willing to go through the time and effort to really understand all that and the big change in the last 10 years is the introduction of higher-level programming languages. And in the professional uh, embedded world, that's primarily C. And you'll see today in a lot of projects, um, the microcontrollers are coded in C. Maybe there's a little bit of assembly language, maybe not. Uh, what you also see in the last five or six years is um, languages like BASIC, um, there's even an old Pascal, believe it or not, Pascal compiler uh, and other kind of structured programming languages. Um, a really good example of an old processor that was coded in BASIC was called a BASIC stamp. Do you remember those things? Oh, I sure do. And, and most of us um, who first played with microcontrollers used BASIC stamps because they were super easy to program, and you can still go buy them. There's a company here in California called Parallax that makes them, and it's a little module, a little looks like a big chip, and it actually has a pick on board and a BASIC interpreter, and you write your program in BASIC, and you load it in there, and it runs the program. The problem with the BASIC stamp parts is that they were very expensive. They're like 50 bucks just for the chip. And if you are a clever programmer, you can buy a $3 pick to do the same task, and it would have more memory and be faster. So you pay this enormous penalty and cost for the basic stamp. Now, today you can go get a basic compiler for free for a pick. There's probably the same thing for the Atmels, or you can use the Arduino C compiler, uh, which is free. And so now you have this these high-level languages and with the uh, in the case of the Arduino, there's the Arduino libraries 
that have all these um, pre-existing functions to let you uh, make interacting with some of these peripheral chips even easier. So the, what this really means is the number of lines of, your, of code you have to write it has gotten very small. You know, I, I want to tell our listeners that, again, a lot of what we've talked about could scare people off. But one of the best things, and this is where I'll go back to the Arduino, is the value add here is the community. The software is open source. These libraries that George just mentioned are open source. Um, pretty much every peripheral that you could connect to an Arduino that Adafruit sells, they give you the code and very easy to follow step-by-step instructions on how to use it. For me, um, because my I was a terrible developer. That's why I got into management because those who can't do manage. Um, and, and the thing was like, I, I always struggle with that. I understand algorithm design. I understand all those high level details, but when it came to actually writing code, I would get lost. But with the Arduino, the first time I opened up the free Arduino editor and the, the sample program is blink because there's an led on board, the Arduino board and the default program just has it blink at like a, a one second cycle time. And for you, to learn you just get in there and start playing with things you're not going to zap it you're not going to cook it you're not going to destroy it you're not going to break anything uh but once you kind of understand that structure you feel a little bit more comfortable plus on top of that there are a million great tutorials out there about learning uh the version of c that has been i guess pared down for the arduino or these other platforms and so it really is an awesome opportunity to start tinkering around with development and and seeing those results come out in the real world. And it actually is kind of a rush that as you get better and better and you start adding skills and starting to learn how to interface with more things, um, I mean, th- that in and of itself for me has become quite addictive. And, and once you build a project, you want to take that core and repurpose it for something else and build the next thing. And it's, it's, that's really fun. Uh, by the way, um, I would hasten to add, let, I'll give you the, uh, the pick version, um, while the community of of kind of the, in the hobbyist world is much greater on the um, the Arduino uh, Atmel side of things, uh, we had done a fair bit of work around a pick platform using a basic compiler, and the basic compiler makes it. Uh, in many ways, well, just as easy, and in some ways easier actually than the Arduino C code. So. Um, if for some reason you want to go down the pick path, uh, it's not that it's intrinsically harder. There's not as many, um, I would say, not as many hobbyists using it. But in the commercial world, there are probably is, I don't know who's, who's bigger, Atmel or Microchip. I think it, Microchip actually is a bigger market share. But that's you know not relevant really for us. Um, but if but if you want to write the Blinky program, you could write that in like four lines of code in Basic for a pick. So I I, I don't want people to get the misconception that pick is hard, Atmel is easy. Um, it, you know they're both pretty easy, but you're totally right about the size of the community on the Arduino side is really massive. So if for no other reason, I think that's a sound advice to go down that path if you're looking at it for the first time. All right, so at this point, we've uh, kind of given, <laughs> I feel like in some ways, uh, if you're not familiar with this, we've given you a very deep, uh, very broad introduction. In other ways, if you are familiar with this, we haven't even scratched the surface. Um, 
but again, this is kind of a new frontier for some folks, and that's part of what's exciting. And there's so much to learn, and so many people who have gone before you. Uh, in our next segment, George, I, I think it's time to move on from microcontrollers and step up to uh, the single board computers. What do you think? That sounds great. Let's do that. All right. We will be right back. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by Kenwood USA and their THK20 Alpha, which is a single band, two meter handy talkie. Now, this is just the handy talkie season, I guess, for me, but it's been a great little rig. Really impressed with the build quality. Of course, you're going to get the great sound quality as well from Kenwood, and you can find it online at mtcradio.com. All right, you're back with George and Jeremy. Let's talk about single board computers, and I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, my bias is definitely going to be around the Raspberry Pi, which was my formal introduction to single board computers. Well, just to make this spicy, uh, my favorite is the Beagle Bone. I know it is. <laughs> so we could debate the pros and cons. <laughs> you know, it's actually interesting, though. Um, it's interesting because me as somebody who was truly just a hobbyist, right? I have absolutely zero professional connections towards playing around with electronics, microcontrollers, single board computers. I, I came to them. Uh, I came to Arduino because of the, the public hype about Arduino. I came to Raspberry Pi because of the public hype about Raspberry Pi. Whereas you have a bit more of a professional acumen with these things. And I find it interesting that um, you are going, you know, you have a preference for the pick and you uh, have a preference for the Beagle board uh, or the Beagle bone, which uh, at the time the Raspberry Pi came out was actually a more powerful platform. But okay, that's fine. So th this is our, uh, our beans, no beans breakups, which I think is wonderful. And it's really cool that we have these, these very different approaches uh, to the hobby. So, George, define for us the single board computer. So th this is the biggest radical change in what's been available that I've ever seen in, in computing. And what we're really talking about is taking the functionality you would only have ever found on a desktop computer and moving it down to something the size of a deck of cards. And I'm not speaking too uh, hyperbolic here. When I, when I say it's the same power as your desktop, I don't mean a current desktop. I mean a desktop of circa you know, 10, 15 years ago, but every bit as powerful as that. So the, the single board computers are a circuit board with all the chips necessary to run a full multitasking operating system, Linux. Uh, and most of these boards support other OSs like Android, which is kind of a derivative. Um, but mostly they run Linux. And today, most of them are running ARM processors. Frankly, not that it matters. Just like in your in your PC, uh, running Intel or an AMD processor, for the most part, for most of us, makes no difference. Um, but most of these single board computers are running an ARM. And then uh, it's a question of, well, which you know, processors, some have more performance than others, and what peripherals are built onto that board. So the Raspberry Pi, the BeagleBone, and other similar boards have a CPU chip. They'll have a SD or micro SD card for the functionality of the disk. So the disk is a flash uh, memory uh, device. Um, they'll have RAM built in, chips soldered to the board. They'll have some communications interfaces Maybe um, uh, they might have wireless or or not. They'll have a power uh, 
voltage regulator circuit typically. They may or may not have video. Um, uh, most of them do have video out. Uh, they may or may not have audio. Um, just depends on which board it is. And the like you said, Jeremy, originally the Raspberry Pi, when it first came out, was uh, was good and inexpensive, meaning thirty five bucks, and it was pretty good. And the BeagleBone was was ninety nine dollars or eighty nine dollars, and it was faster and more of an industrial uh, processor. What's happened over time is the Raspberry Pi for that caliber, that class of Raspberry Pi, the prices stayed about the same, but the performance and the I/O and the feature set has gone up quite a bit, and the and the Beagle. Uh, has stayed about the same functionality, but they've reduced the price down to about fifty bucks. So they're now really converging. And I would say, if they both were introduced today with the current models, it really would be another Ford and Chevy comparison. I mean, they'd be very similar, and you'd be making the decision on some rather secondary uh, uh, criteria, which we could talk about. But but they're really converging to be very similar. And they're running full-blown Linux operating systems. Which is really cool. I mean, that's another area where community open source wins outright. Because um, I'll go back to, you may or may not remember this, but in the late 1999, early 2000, was the first time that I had come across the concept of the, and I'm going to use the word microcomputer, not in the way that our, our four, you know, forefathers used it. Um, but there was a, there was a computer, a Linux computer that was available that would fit inside of one of the old IBM uh, mechanical keyboards. And it was about the size of a paperback novel. And it had something stupid like eight megabytes of Ram ran a 486 equivalent processor, uh, don't even remember what it had for storage, but I mean, everybody thought that was the bee's knees. Um, and then later came the matchbox computer, which was another single board computer that ran a full version of Linux with, uh, some type of an embedded processor. And of course these things were thousands of dollars, uh, because you were paying for the size of the miniaturization. And now I can buy a raspberry Pi for $5. That is like a million times more powerful, a computer than what landed a man on the moon. I mean, just think about yeah. that. So yeah, it's really amazing. If we, um, I guess, I guess right now I would say probably the BeagleBone and the Raspberry Pi. Then, would you agree those are kind of the two most prevalent uh, common boards you're going to run into that have good community support behind them? Yeah, I would. I would say uh, yes. N- uh, Raspberry Pi being number one in terms of community awareness and support, for sure. I would say Beagle is definitely number two. And and then everybody else, and there are um, a lot of of newcomers, and a lot of them are from groups of people you've never heard before uh, that are jumping into this crowded space with similar things with a slightly different spin. Uh, there's also some really big names like Intel uh, is jumping in in a big way with their Edison and other mm-hmm. uh, platforms. So uh, Nvidia even has a new one that's a high performance. Uh, single board computer. Um, so there's a lot of new entrants into the space. But I think for our purposes, uh, you can't go wrong with a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and there's some reasons why you should consider a Beagle. And we, we could probably talk about what some of those differences are. All right. So before we get too much past this, you know, can we kind of we talked about the hardware on the uh, the microcontroller front. So if I 
if I'm out to buy one of these things, what else comes on the board? Because obviously I have a much more developed processor that is more akin to what's in my personal computer or my smartphone than just a simple microcontroller. Well, conceptually, they're almost the same in that um, whether it's a, a Arduino microcontroller board or a Raspberry Pi, uh, both of them have the core processor. Both of them have a way to store the programs. Both of them have RAM to execute the program. Both of them have raw I.O. pins brought up to some connectors. Both of them have some kind of voltage regulator built into them. And kind of at that basic level, I mean, they're sort of the same, uh, except, of course, the microcontroller is very scaled down in its specs. It's going to be a tenth of the performance. It'll have a very small fraction of the amount of memory, um, et cetera. So there'll be some some differences. Um, one thing that you, you tended to see in hardware is that the microcontrollers tend to be very light on processing um, performance and memory. And so you're always concerned about getting your program to fit in the, in the RAM. But they have a very rich physical interface in other words, on a 40-pin microcontroller, 30 of those pins are typically available for I.O., for eight analog-to-digital converters or digital inputs and digital outputs and all that. On the single-board computers, they tended to be more compute-centric, lots more memory, lots more performance, but a very limited amount of physical I.O. So they would have, like on the original Raspberry Pi, there was only about a dozen um, I.O. pins. There's no analog to digital converters. They're, they're really very, very simple. There's one UART on the original Raspberry Pi. If you look at a uh, PIC, even, um, a PIC has 30 I.O. pin, uh, including analog to digital converters, including multiple UARTs. So you tended to find the single board Linux things were more compute-centric with not much I.O., and the microcontrollers were lots of I.O. with not much compute. Um, to some extent, that's starting to change because the new generation of Raspberry Pi has a bigger uh, GPIO or general purpose I.O. connector. It's got like 20 uh, I.O. pins. and oh, It's, it's the, even more than that because the original Pi had 26 pins total, um, I think three quarters of which were in. But now there's 40. And so there's a lot more of that on board, as, you're, as you were saying. Yeah, and, and more, even more so on the, on the bone, which, by the way, is – the, the reason that I did more work on the bone than the Pi, um, one reason is that there's a lot more I.O. on the on the BeagleBone than on the Raspberry Pi, even today. So um, if you're doing a lot of industrial control and need a lot of I.O. and UARTs and all that stuff, there's more on the bone. Now, some of the other things that um, come on those boards, which you start getting into the territory that the average PC user is familiar with, um, for instance, both the BeagleBone Black and the Raspberry Pi both have a built-in Ethernet controller uh, and an Ethernet port. And that's another one of the chips that are on the board is the, the hardware to do Ethernet as well as uh, the hardware to do USB. The current Raspberry right. Pi 2 has four USB ports. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like from a peripheral standpoint that I'm missing on uh, on those guys. Oh, uh, the graphics. That's something else that's interesting is that, you know, a lot of people are familiar that they have a computer and maybe they have a secondary graphics card. Um, both the Raspberry Pi and the BeagleBone Black have little tiny coprocessors in there for the, uh, for the, the graphical unit. Um, 
graphical performance on the Raspberry Pi is actually better because it was built to be able to display high def video uh, as opposed to the BeagleBone Black, which was just, I think it can only do 480, maybe 720. I'm not, I'm not sure what the, the, the video is on the, on the bone. It, uh, tell you the truth, it's at least VGA, but, but you're right. The, the Raspberry is really, if you're using it as a, uh, conventional computer with a HDMI display and all that, then the Raspberry is kind of a better way to go. Yeah, I mean, a, a, an entry-level project, like a lot of people who will buy a Raspberry Pi that may not be very familiar with these things will use them to build uh, kind of little miniature home theater PCs or like Xbox media console um, or Plex-type things where they're they're displaying media on their home computer. Um, it also has built-in audio capabilities as well, both analog and over HDMI. So definitely built, um, you know, their mission was around education. It's certainly a more consumer-y device. But I remember when the Pi first came came out the BeagleBone Black um still was from a computing perspective like you said just a, a much better performer in just raw compute power and and still is today i mean if you really come, if you kind of take a deep dive the the processor in the in the in the BeagleBone is similar or better but it also has two uh digital signal processing coprocessors buried inside there um that's because the chip is made by Texas Instruments. It's it's called a TI Satara, um, as opposed to the Raspberry. That's a Broadcom chip, and and the, the TI Satara was really an industrial controller. So it's it's designed to be able to do things like real time servo, motor control, and stuff like that. So it's it's got a super powerful um, processor in it uh, to do other things. Plus, it's got like four UARTs, and you know, it's just. It's got a lot more going for it on the physical control side. So I think it, for me, if I were going to build a project, if my project was more media-centric, I think the Pi is way better. Uh, if it was more control, real-time-centric, I think the Bone is better. But for many ham applications, that'd be fine either way. So now that we've kind of you know given a pretty good overview of the hardware, let's – the next layer down, it's not like the microcontroller where I'm just going out writing a program and then uploading it to the microcontroller because this has, you know, the entire power of Linux on it. You can uh, log into Linux over SSH. You can run a web server. You can run Java on it. You can pretty much do anything on these as long as there is software available that you could do on a desktop Linux machine. Yeah, and surprisingly, uh, you can get the desktop uh, Ubuntu, and you know, you run a full graphic UI on the thing. It's it's and it boots up just like any computer, and there you go. It's it's remarkable. And, and what's what's interesting is that you know on the Raspberry Pi front, there are several flavors of Linux that are available, but the most popular uh, is definitely Raspbian, which uh, just saw the release of Jesse as the, the latest. Um, and Raspbian is based off of Debian, which is one of the original uh, earliest uh, Linux distributions. And actually, it's been my personally preferred distribution uh, for years just because of packet management and the real dedication to, to quality software that they've had. What, what are they running on the BeagleBone Black on average? Uh, currently, the the recommended core OS is Debian. Um, you can also run Ubuntu. The original version uh, was was called Angstrom, and Angstrom was really kind of an odd offshoot of uh, I think an embedded um, 
Um, I forget what it's called, but there's an embedded uh, derivative of something way long time ago. But now it's really Debian centric. So, so that's kind of the good news is whether you're going with a bone or with a pie, it's the same uh, kind of branch of the Linux family. Now, on top of that, I, I kind of glossed over this earlier. Is kind of like the Arduino boards, where there's a you know a standard for peripherals called a shield that interface with uh, all the pins. Um, both the BeagleBone and the Raspberry Pi have these uh, this hardware standard um, for accessories. On the Raspberry Pi, they're called hats, um, which I just remember what it stood for. But I think it's a hardware attached something. Do you remember what hat stands for? I have no idea. I hate those names. So. <laughs> Everybody no has idea. to have their own thing that goes on top. On the, the BeagleBones, they're called capes. Right. That's right. They're dumb names. Um, but as an example, like in my local micro center right now, there's there's hats available for the Pi that give you a GPS that directly interfaces with the Pi over some of these, uh, you know, as George had mentioned, these these uh, I squared C or the SPI interface um, or the UART. Uh, actually, Raspberry Pi Foundation has released a board called the Sense Hat, which is kind of cool because it gives you. Um, an eight by eight grid of multicolored programmable LEDs. It has onboard position, like um, uh, three degree of freedom, uh, like accelerometer data, a magnetic compass, uh, pressure and temperature and humidity sensing, all on board this board that they designed for this mission that is uh, on its way up to the International Space Station. I actually used one of these for my daughter's Halloween costume this year. <laughs> um, and that's a really good tie into getting back to the software beyond Linux because uh, I was able to program my daughter's entire costume, which was to use the bright LEDs to draw all these different glyphs and it would change color based on the, the ambient air temperature and humidity and barometric pressure um, as inputs to this. But I did it all using Python. George, what's Python? Well, Python is a programming language uh, that's become super popular it was uh, originally invented about 22 years ago and is is used very widely uh, in, in all kinds of applications. Uh, and it's a fairly easy language to learn. And when I f- uh, first picked up uh, Python, uh, the best resource that I found was a online tutorial – um, a lecture series that was available from Google. So if you go to go to Google and and uh, search for uh, like Python tutorial YouTube, uh, you'll probably find the whole series. And uh, and there's a guy from Google who actually teaches you the class, and it's excellent. Um, you just watch it online and uh, easy to learn. Uh, it's fairly very readable syntax. It's easier to code than C. And there's tons of libraries for all kinds of functions in Python. So if you're just learning to program today, I would say Python would be a very good language to learn. Now, I, I'll add to that that the the reason Python and Raspberry Pi are so, I guess, synonymous – or Python is very synonymous with uh, Raspberry Pi development um, – is that the Pi Foundation – a lot of the original libraries that were released in order to get at the the general person GPIO or general purpose input output pins um, were made available through libraries 
that were written for Python. And so you didn't have to understand this low-level driver writing that you would often have to understand for interfacing with these chips. Um, they made it very simple for you. And of course, now those libraries to access those pins for input and output are available pretty much in every uh, language that will run on there. Now, if I'm looking at Beagle Boards, what is, I mean, are, is there a preferred development language on them or are they literally open to anything? No, it's really open to anything. Uh, it's similar to the Pi. Um, you you find that uh, most people are writing in, in Python or C or Java, uh, but that's not unique to the bone. That's pretty universal. I would say the same thing about the Pi as well. So I... Another thing I just you know want to call out real quickly over the lifespan. I should have done this for the Arduinos because I'm, I found a list um, on the official Arduino website, and there are currently in production like 48,000 versions of the Arduino based on how many inputs, outputs you need, what voltage it needs to run at, how much processing power you need. Um, the Raspberry Pi in production today, you can pretty much find one, two, six models. The Mm -hmm. new released $5 Raspberry Pi, um, the Raspberry Pi 2, which is a quad-core, the current most powerful Pi, uh, the Pi B+, which is an upgraded version of the very original, the Pi A+, which is an upgraded version of the A, and then something called the Compute Module, which the average person is not probably going to play with because it's basically a Raspberry Pi on a module that looks like the memory that goes in your laptop. But those are all available, and they're a lot of fun. I mean, the cool thing is I think we've given a pretty good introduction and overview. I think it's time that when we come back from the break, we should give a good 360-degree overview of what hams could actually use these things for by, you know, looking at some of the links we're going to provide in the show notes. What do you think? That sounds like a great idea. All right, folks, we will be right back. This is KF7IJZ with KJ6VU. This portion of the Photon Podcast is brought to you by Bridgecom Systems and their new 220 Handy Talkie, the BCH220. This has been the year of the Handy Talkie for Kale, and I'm really enjoying this one as well. Works great on our Bridgecom Club Repeater on 220, so make sure you check them out. It's BridgecomSystems.com. All right, and now we are to what I think is going to be the most fun section of the show. And that's, that's great. Jeremy George, we've covered all of these microcontrollers and, uh, embedded systems and raspberries and, you know, picks and all this, but what do I use this stuff for as an amateur? What does this have to do with ham radio? Uh, great question. I, th- I think it really depends on on what you are into in ham radio. So, so learning about microcontrollers and and Raspberry Pis and all that just for their own sake is good. But if you have an application uh, where this stuff is useful, then so much the better. Um, so, should we start with the microcontroller side or with the uh, embedded Linux side? I would start with the microcontroller side just because, I, like I said, I think it's been around longer. Yeah. And, and there's so many applications. Um, the way I would look at it is if I want a custom logic function, in the old days, I would have tried to figure out what logic chips I should hook together to give me that function. So if I were going to make a keyer, for instance, I would have to come up with a circuit with you know six or seven logic chips hooked up to 
behave like a keyer. Well, today I just use the microcontroller and I have to figure out how to do that logic in the software. So, um, so it depends on the problem you're going to have. So we we, we did um, uh, a little uh, PIC development board, and we had a lot of people using that to build all kinds of ham radio projects. And they were building um, – oh, <laughs> excuse me, that was my dog. That, <laughs> wasn't, built, that, that, that wasn't my stomach. My, <laughs> no, it wasn't dinner. That was the dog. The dog <laughs> is looking for some food. Of course, that's what the dog – the dog sleeps or looks for food. I mean, that's – it's got two months. It's a, it's a binary animal. It's it's looking for food right now. It's in the one state. Um, so anyway, we, we had a bunch of people who came up with projects for microcontrollers. Um, a good buddy of mine has this big contest station, and he wanted a, a smart dummy load. I swear to God, a smart dummy load. And so he built a dummy load, and he put uh, fans on these big resistors and um, heat sinks. And then he put temperature probes. Uh, on the fan or on the uh, heatsink to monitor the temperature of the dummy load, which you kind of get the hint that he was running a lot of power. So he wanted this thing to um, set three temperatures, and when it hit the first temperature, it would turn on the fa- a fan. When it hit the second temperature, it would turn on the second fan, and when it hit the third temperature, I think it would send off an alarm. So this was a really great simple application where you're reading um, a, a temperature and you're making a decision to flip on a uh, relay that turns on a fan or turns on an, a, a big light. Uh, great application. I would never use a Linux uh, board for that. I would only use a microcontroller for that because it's just it's simple enough that you can get away with using a microcontroller. Well, and you need, I mean, that's something I think kind of left unspoken is the microcontroller running the program is probably a lot more stable than having an operating system where there's 14 million programs running that could possibly go awry and you know stop your program from running. It's totally true, and and I I would I definitely feel that way myself. If you're an embedded Linux guy, you're going to say, "Well, wait a minute, I'm a smart guy. I know how to control the Linux environment." My Linux thing won't be unstable. Look at my router. It runs Linux. It's super stable. What are you talking about? I, I have to reboot my router every week, <laughs> and it runs Linux. And you don't want to reboot your pacemaker, which is why they don't run pacemakers no. on embedded no. Linux. But um, the the other thing that's that's a big difference between – now my dog is just running around going crazy. The big difference between embedded Linux and microcontrollers is also that the – Embedded Linux environment is more complicated. You can run multiple tasks. You can have multiple users. You have permissions. Uh, you have all kinds of security stuff that you don't have in a microcontroller. So, you know, that's a whole other layer of complexity with Linux. So, um, other embedded Linux or other microcontroller projects, we built a uh, repeater controller out of microcontrollers. And that's another example where the thing has to be rock solid, super reliable, flip on, start working in an instant, um, and w- w- the thing can't um, just hang. It's It's got to always run. It has to be robust. So microcontrollers are the way to go for a project like that. Um, so another – yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, no, I, I – um, when I, I first got into Arduino, like I, I started doing a lot of research to try to figure out, oh, how, what, you know, how can I incorporate this with amateur radio? Um, 
actually probably one of my favorite projects that I have come across uh, that is both surprisingly effective and surprisingly inexpensive is building an antenna analyzer out of an Arduino and a cheap um, direct digital synthesis waveform generator. Uh, we're going to put a link to a couple of these projects in the show notes, but uh, there's a ham K6BEZ and another ham whose name is Jim Harvey, but I couldn't find his call sign. Um, that basically give you the step-by-step instructions to go order an Arduino, go order one of these DDS synthesizer boards off eBay for a couple of bucks, uh, get a couple of analog components and an RF connector, a little bit of soldering, a little bit of copy and pasting code, and bam, you've created uh, an HF-capable uh, antenna analyzer for like 40 bucks. Uh, yeah, it was a matter of fact, uh, K6BEZ is a good friend of mine. That's Beric Dunn. And he's a member of our club. And when he was working on that project, uh, I gave him our uh, dev board to do the code development on a pick <laughs> for the antenna analyzer. And uh, and so so he wrote the code on that um, and then talked to a PC to display the data. Hi, my name's so, George, and I will see your Arduino project <laughs> and raise you with, you know, this guy's a buddy of mine. <laughs> So anyway, but it's a, it is a great project. Um, is, is Barrick going to be at Baycon? Oh, Barrick's presenting at Baycon. He's presenting on software-defined radios. Ooh. He's doing the intro session. You know, we might have to have him on the show then to, to kind of talk about some of these projects. It's just, you know, being a tinkerer with ham radio and this stuff. But okay, so I, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have let me go. You should have told me about your next project since you're going to trump me like that. Sorry, I I, I, yeah, I couldn't resist. But uh, by the way, Barrick is a um, uh, he's a professional um, RF engineer and has been doing that for a very long time. And and so uh, one of the points he made about the antenna analyzer is that the uh, forty bucks to roll your own antenna analyzer was not too far off of the the ten thousand dollar professional uh, vector network analyzer. That was analyzing the same system. So, wow. of course, it was wasn't the same, but it was you know for our ham radio purposes close enough. It's going to be better than an MFJ two fifty nine Bravo. Well, it'd be fairly graphical, and um, and what's cool about it is uh, Barrick uh, open sourced everything. So here's the microcontroller code. Here's the PC software and Visual Basic. You can like take it from there. Wow. All right, so what else do you got for microcontroller projects using Arduino or PIC? Oh, man. Um, lots of physical monitoring uh, applications. Things like at our repeater sites, we monitor the vital signs, like the health of the physical plant infrastructure. So we monitor uh, temperature of the PA. We monitor the battery voltage. We monitor the AC line voltage. We monitor the temperature in the in the room, we monitor if the cabinet doors are open or not. So um, any kind of measurement is great for a microcontroller. And then, of course, once you measure it, if it's not um, in the tolerance, you know, if something's wrong, then you can take some action. So uh, so what, what we do is we monitor all these uh, points in the repeater site, and then we ship that data to a website, and we can monitor the state of the repeater site. Um, and if something goes out of whack, like, for example, um, uh, a digital um, watt meter. So um, you can uh, take a directional coupler. A directional coupler is a little box with two connectors on it, and you run your 
uh, coax into and out of this thing. And it's going to look at the power going up the coax and the power reflected back from the antenna. It's what's in a wattmeter. And a directional coupler gives you a voltage that you can convert into a wattage. And you can have the microcontroller monitor the forward and reflected power. And when the reflected power is high, it can alarm. So in the case of a repeater site, we actually have these things in our feed line going up to the antenna. So if the uh, antenna system fails, then we'll get a text message that says that the power output, the, po- the reflected power is high. Um, and that's all being sampled by microcontrollers. Wow. So do you have those reporting over Ethernet or Wi-Fi to some other system further upstream? Yeah. In, in, in those cases, we have uh, Internet access at the repeater site. So what we do is we, we have a, um, a sensor that has two analog to digital converters, one for forward and one for reflected power. The, 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 the microcontroller constantly reads those voltages, and, and then it transmits that data over a little wireless data link um, to a beagle bone. And the wireless data link are these little XB radios, two gigahertz, um, gigahertz unlicensed um, data radios, and it just squirts the data to the beagle bone. The beagle bone then takes that data and shoves it up to uh, a server. And the server is running on Amazon uh, on AWS. So we shove it up to the Amazon server, and then we serve off the Amazon web server um, the state of the sensors. And we have an algorithm that's running on the server so that if the reflected power goes over a certain threshold, like over three watts on a 50-watt transmitter, then it sends me a text message. Wow. Yeah, we probably could do a whole episode on uh, luxury repeater site management. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I I was going to say, some of the other projects um, that I have run into before is that uh, a ham K3NG, do you know him? No, I don't. Okay. (laughs) K3NG um, started a project a while ago. Uh, It's been at least a handful of years, three, four years, uh, to build the ultimate CW keyer. And what's kind of cool is he's built an Arduino-based keyer that has every function you could ever want, from beaconing to decoding um, to interfacing with straight key or bug or paddles, uh, code trainers, all kinds of stuff. And what's cool about it, though... His program is too large to fit in an average Arduino's memory, so you have to go through and customize what features you want. Um, but it's it's a pretty outstanding uh, project, and there are people out there who actually even sell kits uh, to add the extra hardware needed to interface with a key or to interface with an audio device or to interface with a computer. Um, and then finally, this was a project that I uh, played around with a little bit as well when I owned an Alex Loop. Do you, have you familiar with the Alex Loop? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the Alex Loop is this um, $360 handheld, like three-foot diameter uh, portable mag loop antenna. That's quite popular with uh, backpackers. Um, but the, its biggest downfall is that the capacitor that you have to tune to tune the antenna um, is very fidgety. Uh, and you don't really want to be holding this thing necessarily when you're using it. And it's, you know, a lot of work to kind of keep it tuned. So um, several folks out there um, have built projects to basically use Bluetooth and an Arduino <laughs> to be able to remotely tune and a little motor to be able to remotely tune um, this thing. Uh, KK5JY has a really good write-up on a general purpose remote capacitor tuning system. Um, all of these we'll have links for in the show notes. 
But honestly, when I was doing research for the show and from our own experience, because I mean, if, if you go back to the D star episode, we both talked about running hotspots off of raspberry mm-hmm. Pis. So let's, let's shift to the single board computers. I think that that D star hotspot is a, is a fabulous example. Uh, there's a case where the original software runs on a conventional computer and now you have this computer shrunk down so small and running on so little power that it's super portable and like you said d-star hotspot on a raspberry pi it works beautifully and what's kind of cool is that there are at least three or four different options for this now because if you're using conventional high-powered radios where you just have a dv um a node adapter that's just the gmsk modem um there are serial boards available that can connect to the pi over a serial interface um there are even i believe i think there's one person out there and i couldn't find this but i i could swear there's somebody who makes a hat that plugs directly into the GPI O pins on a Raspberry Pi to give you that functionality. Now, mm-hmm. there is another um, board out there similar to the DVAP dongle or the you know digital voice access point that has a built-in radio with the modem and a, or a built-in radio um, that interfaces with the D-Star network. So we talked heavily about the DVAP, but there's also the DV Mega, which is a card that can either have a two meter, a 440, or both. Uh, 10 milliwatt radio in addition to the other hardware that plugs right on the raspberry pi that literally you give it power and internet and boom you're connected to the the d-star network from anywhere in the world yeah and that's a really nice little package that the the, you hear about those constantly on the network lots of guys running those things Probably the coolest device in that realm is a USB device called the DV4 Mini. And this is particularly notable because this is the first device that will allow you to interface with D-Star, digital mobile radio or DMR, and uh, System Fusion, as well as P25, all with one device and one set of software. Yeah, and some of our uh, club members have bought those things. I'm I'm really curious to see how well it does all that. So if it does all that really well, that's pretty amazing. Um, another project kind of related to the peripheral with the Pi is um, the Raspberry Pi actually makes a fairly good APRS terminal. Um, there are you can connect it to your standard serial TNCs. Uh, you know, through the built-in UART pins. But there is also the folks that make the TNCX make a TNCX for the Pi that actually uh, connects to the GPIO pins. And on the Pi, you have two packages of software, at least two, that you can run to do uh, full desktop mapping or to act um, as the controller for uh, a digipeter, um, you can use these things to eye gate uh, to get packets heard into the internet network. Um, but uh, the two softwares are a software called Zaster, X A S T I R, uh, which is generally available through AppGet installation. It's fully featured, but the thing that stinks is by default it uses uh, very low quality vector maps. Um, and to, it will work with OpenStreetMap, but boy, is that a pain. Have you ever tried that? I have not. No, I uh, I haven't. 
The other software is a Java-based application that I think is a little bit newer called Yak, yet another APRS client. And I actually heard about this uh, from the Linux and the Hamcheck folks, but it is also uh, a fully featured, lightweight APRS client that very easily interfaces with the OpenStreetMaps to pull down OpenStreetMap tiles um, for both online and offline modes. Uh, again, links to all this in the show notes. Um, one other D-Star usage we didn't talk about is uh, there are folks out there that actually build lightweight, low-power, portable computers to be able to run um, software in the field with them. So for the emergency responders that use DRATs that we talked about in the D-Star show, um, there are you know there are instructions out there on how to get DRATs to run on your Raspberry Pi with your little lightweight portable computer plugged into a D-Star radio. Um, and similarly, there are folks who can, will use Raspberry Pis in the field to run FL Digi to be able to run their favorite digital modes from a lightweight, low-power computer that goes into the field. Um, I've got a couple other uh, projects here along those lines, too. We, we do field day every year, and for field day, about two years ago, uh, we decided – to move from laptops to tablets for logging. And so Nick N3WG, uh, who's also in our club, uh, wrote Hamlog. And Hamlog is real popular for using um, for, for portable operating on, on Android and, and iPhones and such. So we, uh, I asked him if he would um, enhance Hamlog to have a field day mode, which he did. And, uh, and it works great. And then we figured, well, we need a server uh, because every station is going to log and you want it to all go to a central server. So uh, he took a BeagleBone Black and we uh, plugged it into a Wi-Fi access point and he wrote a little software on the Black. And it uh, pulls all the uh, clients, whether they're Androids or iPhones or whatever, grabs that uh, data uh, and has a centralized server running on the BeagleBone, and so we have a little uh, plastic like ammo can that's got a BeagleBone and a <laughs> Wi-Fi AP and a big battery, and that's our server uh, for, for login. That is, <laughs> that is really cool. It was that, really, yeah. I was going to say, is the, is the software available? Um, he never turned it into a product, but it, it, we run it, we've run it for the last three years, so it, def- it definitely exists. I may have the only copy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, maybe if you twist his arm, he might let a let a copy loose. Uh, what's very cool about it is it uh, on your phone. There's a button that says email log, and 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 you hit the button, you type in an email address, and it it sends the entire log from the Beagle server to whoever you email it to, and that's how you then upload it for your contest. Nice. Um, we talked about uh, repeater controllers, and actually one of the core pieces of software for using the Raspberry Pi as um, a hotspot is a piece of software by Jonathan Naylor called the PC Repeater Controller, um, which allows you to actually run conventional repeater controllers uh, by interfacing the Pi with uh, a Velamin serial control board, or you can use it to run a, a D-Star hotspot. I also became aware of a new project called the open repeater controller project also have links for those um the no hang on you can't get off the repeater controller thing without me putting in a plug Uh, i apologize so so a shameless plug so um uh, i would uh i you know when you run a repeater 
if you're running it in a location where it cannot fail, it cannot get stuck on or anything, I'm not so sure I would use a uh, embedded Linux platform for that. Remember uh, Jeremy's comment about having to reboot his router? So our repeater controller philosophy is the core functionality, the things that control the transmitters, has to run on the microcontrollers because we wrote every line of code, we know exactly what it does, and it's very robust. Having said that, there's a lot of functionality that you can add when you couple those microcontrollers to a BeagleBone or to a Raspberry Pi. So in our repeater controller, we've added a host adapter board so you can plug a, um, uh, a Linux board right into the rack along with the rest of the repeater control logic. What that gives you is all this Linux programmability, but it doesn't get in the way of the real-time um, kind of mission-critical task that the repeater controller has to perform. So that's how we kind of get both sides of you know our cake and eating it too. Um, so th- and this sort of brings up a big philosophical point, which is it's not always either or. It could be and. So it could be that your big fancy project could be most well suited by a combination of an embedded Linux board as the communications and user interface stuff and one or more microcontrollers as the real-time, uh, high-speed um, kind of physical interface. And uh, I don't think you mentioned who we is. Oh, so we is Sierra Radio Systems. So Sierra Radio Systems is a, uh, a little company that uh, I started with um, another fellow, uh, John KJ6K, and he and I uh, developed a family of repeater control systems. We, we started building them for our big link network, which is called the Cactus Intertie. And uh, we've had a lot of groups who've bought them over the years to build their linked repeater networks. Very good. Otherwise, that would have been a pretty terrible, shameless plug. Yeah, exactly. So, so th- I'm sure there'll be a link in the notes on that as well. Yes. <laughs> but oh, so here, here's – while we're at that, let me just add one more thought. So – well, why would you put an embedded Linux board into a repeater controller if that's all if it the core is already done? And the answer is there are some things that are better done on Linux. So we wanted to add a voice capability to the repeater controller. And the way it was done in the past is you'd have a voice synthesis chip, which are largely not made anymore. Um, so well, how do you solve the that? Time problem? is fourteen twenty two. Next yes. On frequency Thursdays at 7 p.m. Exactly. So so for when we went to implement voice what we did was we we took a uh, we made a host adapter board that plugs into the rack into our card cage and we made one for a Raspberry Pi and we made one for a BeagleBone. And we created a voice library so we've got a thousand words and phrases that are in MP3 file format. And they sit on the on the Beagle's SD card, and we wrote a Python program that lets you interface uh, it to the repeater controller. So, for for example, um, the embedded Linux has the cron scheduling utility built into Linux that lets you say, on every alternate Thursday at 2 p.m., do this. So if you want to have, let's say, that program message like net tonight at 8 o'clock, the cron task in Linux fires off whenever you want the announcement to go out. It keys up the repeater system, and then it plays whatever MP3 or WAV file you want. 
So rather than it being this kind of staccato, synthesized, crappy voice, it could be anybody who's recorded a WAV file or an MP3 file, and it plays that message. So it's super easy to change the messages. You can rotate the messages, and it's all written in Python. Um, and you can also cobble together your own messages if you want. So, so adding voice, vo- doing voice in Linux is way, way easier than doing it in a microcontroller. Doing a scheduler like the cron scheduler in Linux is way easier on Linux than writing a sophisticated scheduler routine in a microcontroller. So there are definitely times when the combination is really much more powerful. Well, and there are a ton of other projects out there, and without deep diving in a couple of other um, on the Raspberry Pi side, um, if you are interested in tracking uh, airline traffic over the air using uh, one of the new RTL SDR uh, dongles and a Raspberry Pi, there is a software for ADSB tracking um, out there that's free. Um, there are also several Pi SDR projects to actually use the Pi to give you a spectrum and waterfall display um, using an RTL SDR dongle. We also have, um, I actually came across a really cool one. Uh, where somebody was actually using the some Pi output pins as an FM transmitter. Um, there's other projects for the Arduino. I can't believe I, I didn't mention this, and there's just not enough time to dig into it. But um, people sticking uh, Arduinos with little micro-powered, flea-powered FM, you know, two-meter radios, and doing APRS for high-altitude balloon tracking um, or model rocketry uh, tracking. Mm-hmm. So the, there, and, and along that line, there was a, a project on Kickstarter this year called the Ham Shield, which gives you um, a VHF UHF transceiver that plugs right into the standard uh, Arduino Uno pin output. I mean, there's just so much out there. Uh, and again, I've, I've, we put together some really good links for all of this. Um, I think I think that kind of covers it. I I think there's only one other thing to do, but is there anything else you want to add in closing on the topic? Yeah, I guess just uh, two thoughts. One is, it turns out this month's Make Magazine has an excellent uh, overview of a lot of these boards that are out there. So if you get uh, Make Magazine for February and March, Volume 49, the uh, cover says, Super Cheap Computers, Your Guide to 40 Boards. And uh, the this little pull-out guide lists a big table of all of these boards, the uh, Raspberry Pi, the BeagleBone, the Arduino, a bunch of new stuff like the Chip, which is a $9 board like the Raspberry Pi. There's um, a bunch of other ones. So, so I'd get that copy of Make. That's a great resource. Um, the second thing I would suggest is maybe in a future episode, maybe uh, you and I should each pick a project. Uh, maybe a Linux project and a, and a microcontroller project. And rather than talk about all of this stuff in a big way, just talk about that one particular project and how you built it. I like that. Okay. Um, I think the thing I would leave people with is that don't be scared of the sheer amount of material we just dumped at you. Uh, Google is your friend. Either one of these platforms is very easy and very approachable due to its expense, due to the amount of community support there are out there for these products. Um, and it's something that, you know, they, they unlock a ridiculous amount of creativity. And one of the things that, that I think you and I take for granted, George, is that we have more 
available to us to rapidly put solutions together like this than anybody in history. It is such an exciting time to be alive at, you know, at the explosion of all these, these small little boards that do really cool stuff. And this was stuff that you would have to be a professional developer 20 years ago to really do yourself. So this, you're totally right on, Jeremy. Maybe 10 years ago. So speaking of that, it, it, it's time to, uh, to figure out how to get some of this stuff in the hands of our listeners. Ooh, that would be exciting. Yes. So here's what we're going to do. In the past, we've asked you to send emails, and we're going to ask you to send emails again. But this one is a little, little bit more work is involved. We have to give away one Raspberry Pi 2 as kind of our, our grand prize, and then two Arduino Uno compatible boards um, that will be courtesy of uh, me, Kale, and George. And what we're going to ask is we want you to send an email to Kale, C-A-L-E, at AmateurRadio15.com. That's all one word. Um, Include your call sign and give us a little bit of a write-up what you would do with an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi. It can be short. It could be one sentence. It could be, I just want to play with it. Um, hey, let's, let's, let's throw another thing on the pile. Okay. Um, I've got um, pick. sorry. I've, <laughs> I've got pick development boards um, that you put together yourself, and uh, the compilers are free, and there's a whole tutorial on how to do it. So why don't we throw a couple of pick development kits in there, too? Okay, so you heard that. That's uh, a grand prize of a Raspberry Pi 2, two uh, Arduino Uno compatible boards, and a couple of pick development kits. So, the, again, send an email. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell them. What should we make the subject line be? Uh, how, about, how about faux make? <laughs> you better spell that. Yep. So it's not fomaki, some great Japanese dish. So in a subject line, to be very clear, put the word fo, F-O, space, make, M-A-K-E, include your call sign, and give us a line or two about what you would make if you were to win one of these boards. Uh, When Kale gets back from his wilderness survival training in the Great Smoky Mountains, um, we will have him pull these together and again that email address is kale charlie alpha lima echo at amateur radio 15 all one word and 15 is the number amateur radio 15.com um i think that's it i would suggest one last thing please let we need a, a jeremy shopping list so what if someone leaves this podcast right now and runs out to their closest web browser and orders a thing, what would you have them buy? Oh, wow. Truthfully, I'm going to have them buy a Raspberry Pi because I think they could get up and running with a Raspberry Pi, probably with things they already have in their house, and could start playing with the Linux and software portion of it today. I think that would be good advice. I'll give you my version. Please. I would, in spite of being a kind of a pick guy, I would say go out and buy an Arduino Uno board. And the reason I suggest that, besides everything we've already said, is that the programming complexity is really simple on the Arduino. You don't have to deal with the operating system. So I think 
you know, if you're kind of a Linux savvy guy, you'll love the Pi. You'll be right at home. If if the computer programming sort of environment freaks you out, start with the Arduino. You know, we have some friends who would tell us to get both. And I, I say, go out and get a Raspberry Pi, connect it to an Arduino, have it uh, the Pi get on the internet and get the time, and have it blink the LED on the Arduino. In CW. Um, on pr- in CW for prime-numbered seconds. <laughs> exactly. That's the project. You could do that. You could. That's awesome. All right. I, I think that's it. George, thank you so much as always. It was great spending uh, some time here with you. My pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. I look forward to our next episode. Kale, the good news is we didn't burn the place down, but we drank all your beer. But there's a few more miles on the Porsche, man. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. 73, folks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, that's going to wrap number 43. George, Jeremy, thank you so much. You always do a phenomenal job, and we appreciate you giving us your time. Folks, we appreciate you listening, and don't forget the giveaways. It's there. You just have to do what they ask you to do. Send the emails in, and the randomizer will pick some random winners. Hey, don't forget, Winter Field Day is coming up January 30th and 31st, 2016, and we have a lot in store for you over the course of this coming year, 2016. It's not coming anymore. We're in it, so... We appreciate you being here. We always thank you for hanging out with us. Again, George and Jeremy, we really, really sincerely appreciate you taking the taking the reins on this microcontroller show. I'm sure there's more to talk about we'll get to as time progresses here on the program. But until then, we'll catch up with you next time, guys. Thank you so much. 73, y'all. Thanks for listening, downloading, and subscribing to Photime, the other ham radio podcast. Presented by mtcradio.com. To subscribe, comment, share, or review, visit our show site at photimepodcast.com. Till next time, 73, y'all.